Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. After surviving a hellacious Father's Day weekend, my partner and I, Brian Siegler, how was your What's week? up, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I, I heard you were uh, you were grinding out there over the weekend. Pool, golf, everything. Pool with the kids. Not just pool like sitting poolside, hanging out, having a beer. Pool with the kids, which was a ton of fun. And uh, went to the golf course yesterday, just hit some balls. And uh, as I'm leaving, my brother-in-law rolls up, says, hey, I'm here with a buddy and his uh, pops. You want to join and be the four? Why not? You can't say no to that. You can't say no to that. What about you, man? Uh, it was a it was a pretty fun weekend. We just kind of we hung around here on on Saturday, and then on Father's Day, actually had a neighbor had a his uh, daughter's birthday party, so I went over there. Uh, there was uh, axe throwing at the uh, the kids' birthday party, so uh, I was I was I was doing the axe throwing while the kids were like on the water slides. Uh, and then we came back here and had a cookout with some of the parents came over. So pretty solid weekend. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, tonight, folks, uh, we are bringing on a guy that we have mentioned numerous times. He is a buddy of ours going all the way back to middle school. Legitimately, me and Brian went to middle school, high school, and college with this guy. And he has been in the high school coaching ranks for well over right at 15 years. Um, coached at Halifax County High School down in South Boston, Virginia, our high school alma mater. And then from there, went over to J.H. Rose High School down in Greenville, North Carolina, where he produced multiple NFL talent, multiple collegiate prospects, and also got an inside view to the camping world. So without further ado, our buddy, Robbie, Hambone Compton. Here we go. What's up, fellas? How's it going, hey, buddy? What's Hanging happening? in there, man. Hanging in there. Didn't have quite the uh, the the Father's Day weekend experience you guys had. Did a little traveling. Had to get back home. You know, was trying to trying to get this thing done uh, one night early, uh, late last week. But my uh, <laughs> location didn't allow that to happen. So. Uh, Spent a little time in West North Carolina in the mountains, and reception's not so good. No, it's not. Not so good. Not so good. Hey, you know, we, we tried to get it rolling on Thursday. Didn't quite uh, get it going, but, hey, we're here tonight. We're having fun, so that's all that matters. Damn right. Well, it's right. funny because last week we, we got together with Robbie because, you know, we're, we're running through stuff that we should talk about, giving his getting, getting his insight, lining this up, and it was good. Like, we were like, this is going to work. This is awesome. And then, what'd you say, Robbie, earlier today? Oh, there's probably one in a thousand chance that we got to talk before <laughs> that. That you actually found enough signal. And we didn't All the to- stars aligned on yeah. Wednesday afternoon when we sat down and had our little uh, little pregame there. And then when it was time for prime time, it didn't quite happen. Yeah, we got we got blocked by the Great North Wilkesboro Raceway. <laughs> if I have my way, it's going to come back. You guys, if you have anything to do. Just gonna throw that out there. Go check it out. Bring back the track, North Wilkesboro. We got to bring that thing back to its prominence. Well, are they getting the Earnhardt? Didn't Earnhardt dumping some money into it? There, there, there's a bunch of different, um, bunch of different ideas right now of, of streams of revenue that they're trying to go in there and, and bring that track back along with um, 
along with a couple other tracks in North Carolina. Um, I don't live in North Carolina right now, but uh, I'm, I'm a big supporter of those those old tracks down there and uh, the, the heart and the origination of uh, stock car racing comes from yep. a lot of those tracks in North Wilkesboro and, and Rockingham. Rockingham. They're going to they're do some things, I think, in the future to bring some of that stuff back. But I, I hope they do because I can remember being kids, and I say kids, you know, we were probably, you know, third grade and up. Those tracks were fun because when they were at those tracks, it was some bumping and some grinding and some racing and some fist fighting after, after the game or yeah. after the races in the parking lots. Helmets thrown in cars, all, all that fun stuff. People jumping in, you know, kind of like a typical Saturday night at South Boston Speedway. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll be there on the third, boys. You'll be there. Okay. I wish I was, but I don't think I'm gonna make it to that one. <laughs> right on. But yeah, my, I think you might as well throw it in there. I was like, because you, you're not gonna find. I'm on a Virginia Tech podcast. You're not gonna find a bigger supporter of Virginia Tech than Jeff Burton. And. True. Jeb and Ward are, are two of the biggest um, proponents in trying to bring that track back along with Rockingham. So yep. uh, I'll do what I can to help them out and try to put that word out a little bit. Good stuff, Def- man. Definitely put the word out there, get the original NASCAR tracks back to maybe bring some people back to the sport of watching it. So, yeah. So, Robbie, obviously, we hit you up a couple months ago and started talking to you about camps. And, obviously, June 1, the dead period finally ended. And everybody all over this country opened up camps. And not one or two. I think what Virginia Tech has still got more going on this week. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so many camps. So, as we started talking – me and Brian kind of – we hit up Robbie one day. We're all, like, on, on, you know, Skype and we're chatting – and the next thing you know, like an hour had went by. We're just chatting up the stuff. And it's like, oh, we got an episode. We got an episode. We got to do this. We got to bring our boy on. We got to talk to him about it. So what we're going to start with, folks, is you see these camps, right? Brian, right. Robbie, you you see guys saying, going to the camp, going to the camp. Yep. And then as we start talking to Robbie, well, how the hell do you – how do you get invited to the camps? The um, these camps you'll see um, a lot of these camps, especially uh, here in the last few years. You you get flyers, you get um, you can see driving back the other day from Wilkesboro. I noticed um, on one of the they have the digital boards now. The image changes. There was one up there um, coming outside of Greensboro. I think it was for UNC. Yeah, uh, and of course it says Mac Brown is back. Last time I checked, Mac Brown been back three or four years. <laughs> Mac Brown is back. Check out his football camp. Still back. Yeah, they've got all these dates listed for his camps on the billboard out there. Yeah, I mean, so the, the camps are huge. They're pushing these things, and um, I mean, there, there's so many ways with these camps um, nowadays. The 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 big thing. Um, of course, as coaches, the, these uh, colleges and things have these camps. They put these camps on, and they'll send mail-out flyers and stuff to the coaches. Okay? Especially, I know in North Carolina, it's huge. Um, from all the other places, all the other colleges, they send out – they have mailers for the different high schools. And they'll send them to the coaches. The coaches can post them in their locker rooms, weight rooms, or whatnot. And then the kids can see the camps there. 
on every one of those mailers, it has a thing on there. It says for prospects, see such and such.com, you know, uh, Virginia Tech or however they, wherever their campsite comes up. And the, the athletes can go in there and it'll bring up a questionnaire and they can fill out things for the questionnaire to put their information in as a prospect. And once they do that, um, they'll get, they'll get tons of information from those schools as a prospect. They'll get um, mailers about camps. They'll get flyers about, you know, it's all, it's promotional uh, mailings from the colleges. Now, a lot, a lot of kids get that confused with recruiting. Yeah, but you put the name to those things, and you know you're going to get the information that they want you to get. It's going to promote them. It's going to look the best that they can. And a lot of that information comes to those camps. I mean, you can put that in there, and then it'll send you a thing, and you can get right to that campsite, find it, sign up. You can pay your dues. They'll link to hotels and stuff in the area, and they'll get you hooked right up and right into that camp and ready to go, man. So now, Brian, I think you, you asked this the other week about, is that the only way? No, that's not the only way. Um, <laughs> there you have, um, I say, you know, I went to the recruiting part. Now there's players, um, typically your, your bigger schools, your power five schools, things like that. They're looking for students in, they're looking for those athletes in between their 10th and uh, an 11th grade year going into their junior season, okay? Now, when those prospects are there in that 10th and 11th grade season, they're top-end prospects. You're, you're hearing about them and, and all these recruiting bases and all those things like that. Those coaches and, and those recruiters know who those guys are, and they're talking to those guys, and they're telling them, you know, these are the days of our camps. And all of these, all of these schools are going to have – um, if you see the flyers, you see the stuff, they'll have uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday um, junior day camps or prospect camps. Yep. They might have a Saturday afternoon. They might have a seven-on-seven um, tournament. They may have a team camp. They, they'll, they'll have all kinds of camps. It's not just an individual camp, but they have all different kinds. Um, and they go through things like that. And they'll find they'll find those prospects, and they'll make sure that those kids get, you know, get those camp dates. Yep. And they're going to get those kids to those camps. So I mean, you you're going to have you're going to have situations where some of these kids, your top end prospects, they want them there on campus so bad, it's an unofficial visit. They can get them there without. They can waive the cost of the camp. Mm-hmm. They can give scholarships or. or or um, vouchers for the cost of the camp. If it, you know, if the athlete has issues paying for the camp, things like that. But if if they're recruiting that kid and they need that kid to be seen in front of their coaches, that kid's going to be at that camp. They're going to get them there. Well, while we're on that, I know you kind of talked about you know the different types of camps. Some are you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Some some are on different days. Let's just run through the different types of camps that that you see uh, offered by these universities. Oh yeah. Um, the the different kinds of camps. I mean, you've got you're gonna you'll see um, camps such as, like I said, individual schools will have their own camps. Yep. You'll have, um, say, Virginia Tech or UNC, NC State. They're gonna have a camp 
and you're going to see it nine times out of ten. It's going to be sponsored by their head coach. You know, it'll be it'll be um, Dave Doran Football Camps dot LLC dot com or or however it goes in that nature. I'm I'm not out trying to promote any of them. I don't know <laughs> what sites are, but generally they're they're ran by a limited liability company from the coaching point, not from the university. And I'm sure okay. there's some whole NCAA thing behind all of that. I'm not I'm not sure how that works. So that that's run essentially by the coaches LLC and they're essentially leasing the uh exactly the university they're space. They're leasing the facilities and things from from the university. Yep. And um the old way they used to do it is they did a lot of that with um so that they could hire coaches and things like that to come in and help with the camps and do some things of that nature. Um, that's how I got involved with a lot of them. Um, I, I worked several camps. I worked camps at, at Duke, UNC, uh, a bunch at NC State. I worked some at ECU. Um, I, I actually did a couple of things at Virginia Tech years ago, but they, they, I wasn't paid for that. I just took a kid there. They found out I wasn't a coach. So they had me help with a few little things just because they knew I had some had some experience. But so, so hold on, I'm gonna ask a quick question, and this is kind of gonna go back to both pieces. So when you're saying they're ran by an LLC or the coaches LLC, you're some, and you're talking about scholarships. So essentially, if you have a player right now that they want, the kid doesn't have two hundred dollars, the kid can't stay in a hotel room. Essentially, they're just saying, "Hey, Robert, you j- just get him up here." Well, he will take care of the payment. Don't worry. They're, they're not gonna. They're not gonna provide a place to stay or okay. anything like that. But you know, they can. They can get rid of the cost of the camp. Okay. Okay. Um. And and I think that's a lot where a lot of the the thing comes from being with the coach and stuff. And that that's just my opinion and my view on it. Yeah. You know, when it comes to dealing with the NCAA, I don't know that you'll ever get a straight answer of exactly how that runs, but. But I mean, it's one of of those fun gray areas that the NCAA has. I think that's a big part of it. But they do; they're they're going to get those kids there, those prospects that that they really like. They're going to get them there, and and they're going to find ways. Now, now something something I heard it was mentioned: J.C. Price, who just got hired for Marshall over two tech, obviously alumni and everything. He mentioned numerous times, and Brian, I think me and you talked about this probably a couple months ago, he was consistently mentioning, Justin Hampton mentioned too about, oh, yeah, when Marshall was up here. What, yeah. what are those? What are the, you know? Now, just just like you have those individual team camps, you'll see, um, especially in those individual camps, you'll get those big power five schools, you know, the big names, they'll draw, they draw bigger prospects. I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. You know, the bigger the name, the bigger the prospects they'll draw. Yeah. Well, and they'll also draw more numbers. So you get you get a lot of teams that work with guys. Um, I remember work going to several of the Virginia Tech things with a couple of recruits we had from Halifax. Um, every time I went there, you could always count on a representative or a coach somewhere from JMU being there. Coach Price was one of them, I think, at the time with JMU that was at several of those. Um. But they, they have they have schools locally that have ties in to them, whether their coaches played or once coached at that school or coached with that coach at another school, things of that nature. So what they're seeing is, you know, you've got these top-end prospects 
but you've also got some smaller kids that maybe hadn't been noticed yet that some of these smaller schools can get in and see at that camp because they're coming to Virginia Tech's camp and may not be coming to JMU's camp. Okay. You, know, you may see a school like um, like Bridgewater or VMI, Washington Lee may have somebody at some of those because they're fairly local. They're, they're closer, you know, small Division three schools or something like that. They can pick up prospects that way too by seeing them at camp and picking things up. And uh, so that happens a lot at those at those individual team camps. Okay. But now the biggest trend now you get a lot of um, like satellite camps and these big mega camps where you might get a group of two or three coaches hosting this huge thing, and it turns into like a regional camp. So you've got two or three colleges. Um, they're big in North Carolina, UNC Charlotte. Um, North Carolina A&T will hold one, and then they'll have all of the HBCUs coming in. You'll have big schools like Penn State, Michigan, that, that come in and look at things like that, schools from far away. And I think what a lot of that is doing is, is they're bringing these prospects that are having trouble getting 1,500 miles from, you know, central North Carolina to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now, all of a sudden, they can come to these camps because they've been invited to these satellite camps, and they can see prospects in regions that may that would take way too much to get them up there. Outside you know, of their normal footprint, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's one thing to hold an $85 camp and say, hey, I can wait that – I can get – Take care of the eighty-five dollars. Get you to camp, but you got to get here. It's a lot easier to drive two hours from the coast of North Carolina into Raleigh and then get back afterwards, yeah. rather than it is. Hey, we'll waive your your eighty-five dollar camp fee in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but you got to figure out how to get fifteen hundred miles up here and back. That's a little bit different story. So that's where those those bigger camps come in like that. Sure. And then you have those the the Nike Elite, the VTO camps, and the things like that, they're, they're bragging rights, measuring stick camps. You know, they're going to give you um, pure numbers. You're, you know, you'll have some coaches and stuff there, but nine times out of ten, they're held sometime when the recruiting period is, is so-called closed. Yeah. So they're getting 40 times and 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 um, vertical jumps and and – all of those kinds of scores, they're looking at those things, and it's a way to co- kind of compare athletes. So that kind of camp's a little bit different. Um, but some of the still, some of the things still apply there. Is you'll get kids coming in there that are invited there and not paying to get into them a lot yeah. of times. That was going to be my next question. Right. I was, I was like, how many of the, with the sponsor camp? How many of those are like invite only or mostly invite only, and how many are are, are more like those individual camps in terms of, you know, yeah. if you can pay the money to get there, you can go. Like, yep. The um, uh, you can you can go to any of them when you pay that when you pay that fee to get there. Okay. Uh, usually, the only restrictions is they they cut off at an age group. Usually, it's uh, either rising ninth graders to rising seniors. Um, things of that nature, but um, they, they don't typically have sixth and seventh graders, things like that. Now, there are camps out there that will take the really young kids. Um, I myself am not a huge fan of that. I don't understand why you're going to recruit a kid in sixth grade. And, you know, <laughs> but, 
it, that that's that's more of a basketball thing. The whole different conversation. They like to start recruiting early before the kid ever hits a second growth spurt. And, I mean, whatever. But. I mean, unless you're a sixth grader that can sling the ball fifty yards, I'm not sure. Oh yeah, what you're really going to gain out of that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you never know that 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 110 pound sixth grader can sling your ball fifty yards. By the time he hits the tenth grade, might be two hundred seventy pounds and might be one hell of a long snapper. Exactly. <laughs> you never know. But now I'm, I'm trying to think, Robbie. I go back to our conversation with Contavious Street, one of your players down at Rose, obviously member of the San Francisco 49ers. Um, did he go? The, was his Under Armour? Was that just the game, or did he go to the camp and the game? He did not. He he went to. He went to several. Uh, he went to a couple of the Nike VTO camps. I okay. think to an Under Armour camp. Okay. He actually he he was invited to the Under Armour All American game. Yeah, I remember that. He was also invited. He also went to the U.S. Army All American Combine and was the MVP of the U.S. Army All American Combine and was invited to the U.S. Army All American game, which is the one he played in. Was he already on the radar of a lot of schools, or was when he got to that U.S. Army like combine where it popped, where he was getting some regional attention? I remember we offered him, state offered him. Was that where he went from like a regional prospect to? I mean, Ken, well, he was what ninety six. He was in the top one hundred. Yeah, absolutely. That. He was um, he was on some radars early on in his high school career, and yeah. I say that because. In his ninth grade season, he was in Georgia. Okay, and um, he played. It, he was actually playing at Coffee High School in Georgia. Um, he was he was playing with another guy that's in um, in the NFL. I think he plays for the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill. Oh, really? I think, I think they were in the in the in the same high school deal in in the same high school area Ooh, in so Georgia. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah, they've got some. They've got some pretty good reason to talk about prospects there. I would think, especially two of them faced off in a Super Bowl. I don't know, two years ago. But um, he, he he had some he had some recruiting ideas when he came to us. Okay, and the thing was, there was there was a year in there, a year to a half a year where he had moved, and people were just kind of wondering where he went to because you know he's trying to find. It. Then all of a sudden, he started popping up at camps you know, up and down the East Coast where he was popping up in, you know, Georgia and Georgia Tech and and uh, Ole Miss and some areas down there. Then he started popping up UNC, NC State, Virginia Tech. You know, he started popping up in a different area. People started to recognize, I mean, is this kid that good that he you, that he spread that far now? But um, he – he started to he started in a different recruiting area, so different coaches started seeing him, and then he hit then he hit that MVP, and um, at that U.S. Army game, and it, it really took off. I mean, coaches the coaches that were recruiting him before started finding out where he was. New coaches <laughs> the coaches that were recruiting him then it, it appeared. So that, I mean, that's just that's another one of those camps. You know, he went to several other camps that kept getting him recognized. He kept running up the ladder as a higher prospect, kept getting invited to more camps, and that's where he ended up. I mean, I think that year that he graduated, he was the number two or number three defensive end in the country behind Deshaun Hand yeah. um, out of Woodbridge in Northern Virginia. 
Uh, he ended up going to Alabama. Yes, he did. And Contavious selected to go to NC State with a little bit more of a, a family atmosphere and the, the thought of playing from the beginning, which he did. He started all four years. So yes, he did. He, he had a he had a pretty solid defensive line when he was there too. When he was he was great. He was a standout, but they were pretty solid across. Yeah, the board I think he too. I think he was a member of four defensive linemen that were drafted in yep. the first four rounds of the 2018 draft. So yeah, it worked out pretty well for that group of guys. Yep. And he's still in the league, still under contract with the Niners. Absolutely. Waiting for you to fly me out to a game so we can go see him. <laughs> hey, I'm. I was all ready to go to a game last year. Oh yeah, right. we all know how that happened. I had yeah. I had my, a cardboard cut out of myself to put in the stadium out there to make it feel <laughs> like I was there. Actually, yeah, those were kind of expensive. Exactly. So, so Robbie, so let's let's pivot a little bit. So we figured out what what's going on, what these camps are about. You're a player, you're a coach. You, you got some players that are signed up for these camps. What do they expect when they get there? Man, when when they roll into that camp, it's gonna it, it's gonna be eye opening to some of those individuals. Like I said, you're gonna you're gonna have age limits on these camps. A lot of them are gonna be. In, um, rising ninth graders to rising juniors. Okay. Those rising 11th graders, I'm sorry, rising seniors, those rising 11th graders, rising seniors, they're, they're, they're looking to, to find their place for the four years when they, when they finish high school. Yep. Younger guys are trying to, are trying to get their name, trying to get their self seen, trying to get their names on the scene and, and, and start building that reputation. And um, what you're going to get when you get there, all right, they're going to come in. A lot of the camps that I've, I've been around, I've worked, um, they're going to roll in, and they have some kind of idea of how many they want in the group. And they're going to come in, and they're going to they're gonna register and say they're going to have like an hour for registration. So you have an hour of time to get there. When so many kids get there, they're going to start them stretching, and they're going to send them off to the side. Then the next group of so many is coming in, they're going to start them to stretching and get them going. And when that hour's up, they're going to bring them all together, start splitting them off by position, things of that nature. And then they're going to start those um, combine-type workouts. You know, you're going to have – a lot of them have 40s, um, pro shuttle, uh, vertical jump or broad jump. Different schools do different ones. Um, vertical jump, broad jump. You're going to have L drills and, and things of that nature. So, so they're going to they're going to get those combine scores. Um, they're also going to get the height and the weight, things like that. That those those are the ones that tell the the big truth <laughs> because um, <laughs> college coaches when they hit that combine, they're going to tell the truth, Jack. You're going to there's going to be a lot of kids disappointed in the first ten minutes they get to that camp. Because their high school coach has been telling them that they're six three, and that cat six one and a quarter. Well, we want in high school we want the other team to think that our skill guys are bigger than they are, and we want them to think our linemen are smaller than they are. So when they walk that lineman and they go, "Well, he's only six one and two hundred and sixty pounds," yeah, that cat six five, two hundred ninety pounds. I'm gonna have my hands full. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so hold on. So, so you're saying high school coaches might be. Fudging the numbers a little bit to get to uh, get a mental edge over the. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, put, put some put some tube socks on it. Put your cleats on. Stay on your oh, tippy toes. Oh, I get a measurement. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna measure we're gonna measure our skill guys. We're gonna measure our skill guys with cleats on and on the tiptoes. And you know if if they've got if they've got the the faux hawk, we're gonna measure the top. <laughs> that we're not pressing. The linemen are gonna be barefooted with bent knees and <laughs> I mean, slouching. Yes. We're gonna we're gonna your shoulders for it a little bit. We don't need that extra half inch. So that at the very beginning of that camp, that's why I said it's gonna be a little bit out. Some of these kids, when they do some of these things, they're gonna think they're fast and and all of this, and they're gonna find some kids that truly are fast. And and it's it's gonna be it's gonna awaken some of them that hey, I might not I'm here to get my name put out there. I got a lot of work to do before I hit that rising junior, rising senior year where people are gonna be trying to to, to push offers and things of that nature. I got a lot of work to do if I'm going to keep up with those guys, but it, it, it gives them that mental edge. They get to see those, you know, what it's like to be that kind of prospect. And that's a big thing. But, but it's also a place too, where you see a lot of times with these camps and especially this time of year. And we, we watch the rankings. I know they're not everything to you, but we're not as in connected as you are, but you see guys go and fall because you see a guy they expected, like you said a little earlier, Oh, 6'5", 280. Well, shit, he's 6'2", and he's 260. Yeah. He's three inches shorter. He's 30 pounds lighter, or he's 20 pounds lighter. His arms aren't as long. And and then we run him through the drills. He did good on his drills, but he's 6'2", 260. If he was 6'5", yeah. 280 running those drills like that, he'd be skyrocketing. Oh, so, absolutely. So l- let me ask this. Um, you said what they're getting. They're getting a lot of good stuff, but what aren't they getting that some of the kids that you've taken that you've had to sit down and have conversations with and say you're not going to get this at these camps? The, they have to understand they're not when they go to these camps nine times out of ten, they're not getting a here's how to play your position of football camp. Okay, they're looking at. Um, you play this position, we're going to see how you play it and how well you play it. Now, that's not saying that the coaches and the people running the camp aren't going to give them some tips or some things that will make them a little better and help them out in certain ways. But they're not, you know, they're not going to go from the start. This is how we do our stance. This is how we do this. This is how we do that. Now, they may go over some of that so that they can understand what the individual is looking at. Okay, this is how we this is how we work with linebackers, or this is how we work with DBs, and this is what we look for. Now, not all coaches look for that, and I've heard coaches tell you know you can you do it your way because when it comes down to it in uh, August, September, and October, you got to do it the way your coach is telling you to do it. Because if you turn around and tell them uh, Coach Huxtable was one of the best of them, he was the linebackers coach at NC State for several years. Coach Huxtable said, "I can tell you all I want to here." He said, but if you go back to your coach and tell him that Coach Huxtable told you to do it this way, I'm going to tell him you lied. <laughs> he said, you got to do what your coach is expecting of you and 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 play play the game the way they're looking to get it done. So he said, because I'm not going to tell you that our way is any better than anybody else's. He said, you just have to do that. So if you're going into that camp expecting to learn how to play, you know, Virginia Tech's defense, you, you, you're probably – You'd probably be better off taking that money and buying, you know, Frank Beamer's special teams to book or something like that. But I mean, 
you, you're not going to learn the the complete specifics of a position or anything at those camps. They're going to learn what you know about playing a position, playing leverage, playing the game, and how you do it. If you want to play backer, you're better off buying Bud Foster's coaching Bible than you are going to a camp. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so we're at a good part here. We're going to take a brief break and uh, have a message from our digital partner. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Now back to the good part. All right, so we're back, guys. Now, Robbie, something – I didn't know this. Well, maybe I did know this, but I just didn't remember us talking about it. But you and obviously guys you coach with, you guys have actually evaluated for – Correct. Is this something that is pretty common among the high school coaches um, at P5 camps, or is it more relationships building between the the schools and the head coaches of those schools? I think it's I think it's um, I think it's got a lot to do with the relationships you build with with some of the coaches, and they they learn they understand the trust and 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 how you're coaching things and what you're doing and things of that nature. Um, a big part of it anyway, a big part of the whole process is that relationship you build with those coaches. Um, if they, if, if those coaches are evaluating your players and you're telling them they're, they're this and they're that, and then they get to the school or they get to these camps and they don't back that up, then there's a question about, you know, what you're portraying to them. But when you, when you're constantly telling these coaches that are recruiting these kids, what kind of kids they are, I, I tell kids all the time, when, when we're doing recruiting stuff, we're talking to the coaches. I'm not going to lie to the coach. I'm going to tell them the truth. If you're if you're a 100% motor kid, but you're not the greatest technical player or things of that nature, I'm going to let them know that. If, yeah. if you're a craptastic individual that doesn't want to listen and doesn't want to follow the coaching, but a <laughs> spectacular athlete, I'm going to tell the coach that because I'm not going to have – and it, it sounds it sounds kind of personal, but I'm not going to have my reputation ruined by sending a kid out there that I praised and said was so great, and then he turned around and not be that player. I mean, yeah, we're I'm going to be honest with them. Yeah, you're uh, putting your name on it. You're gonna you're gonna tell the truth. Absolutely. And, and coaches coaches see those things, and they understand that they they start to see that the the players you're sending them and and what their reputation is and how you evaluate things. And I mean, I've had some situations where I've had coaches that would that allow me to 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 put give my input on players and things of that nature. Now, by no means am I doing, you know, the recruiting for them or anything like that. But I mean, I've had coaches that have allowed me to to give my input on what the what the players at those camps, you know, how they performed and and what they did well and and how they could improve if they would fit into the situation. Especially one coach in particular that I worked with, I knew, and he knew that we had worked for so long together that we actually ran a lot of the same drills and everything in practices. And he knew I, I, 
he knew that I knew exactly what to look for in these drills and the things he was doing. So he felt comfortable with me running a drill just like he would, you know, his own GA or, or things of that nature. So, I mean, okay. that, that kind of worked out. And it was, it was very useful at the camp. So let's talk about the evaluation. So we can start um, just when, when looking for something. We're going we're gonna to start with, we're going to start with, with my bread and butter. Offensive line, defensive line. When we're when you're evaluating those positions at a camp, what what type of things are you looking for from the defensive line? What type of things are you looking for from the offensive line? All right. How long does this podcast last? Don't matter. As long as you want it to. All right. (laughs) Um, Take a sip there. Take a sip. Everybody, take a sip. Yeah. Got to wet the whistle here to get this one going. There we go. Um, (laughs) The 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 camps. Like we said before, you know, you got a bunch of different kinds of camps. The the big, um, like those big VTO camps and things like that, nine times out of ten, all they're going to get out of that most of the time is your combine stuff. You will get some that, that get later enough that you'll get some one-on-ones with some offensive linemen and some DBs and receivers and, and linebackers and running backs, things of that nature. But um, – a lot of those super camps or the, the regional camps and stuff, you're going to have anywhere from 800 to 1,000 kids show up. It's hard to get all of those kids in a two-and-a-half-hour period through all of that stuff and give any of them a chance to do a one-on-one. Yeah. Your smaller camps and your, your, your more focused um, sponsored camps, I guess you could call them, um, you're going to see one-on-ones and things like that. Now – like you said, the bread and butter, the, o, the, the O-line, the D-line. I mean, I played O-line through school. Um, the vast majority of my experience in coaching has been with offensive and defensive line. I've coached linebackers, DBs, uh, receivers, tight ends, running backs. I've coached all of those at some point. But my, my biggest thing is O-line and D-line. Now, what you'll notice a lot of these, um, a lot of these camps, when it gets to one-on-ones, there's no helmets, there's no shoulder pads. Now, a lot of the, a lot of these camps now are going to where they can use helmets, and a lot of that is on the new rules with the concussions and things of that nature. But a lot of times before, there were no helmets involved in it. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you get you get a lot of uh, of pass rushing, a lot of rushing, and things of that nature, and it's going to take part of that. I don't want to say part of the evaluation out of it but it's going to take certain parts of things out because these players are going to be conscious of, of where the other player is and where their opponent is and things like that. Cause they, they're not, they don't want to take a chance of getting hurt. And we understand that. So a lot of the offensive linemen and defensive linemen, the first thing you're looking for is, is their, their get off, um, their footwork, offensive line and defensive line, handwork, um, things of that nature. It's really about that first step. Um, you can tell a lot about a pass rusher and, and an offensive lineman by that first step. You know, if, if that first step for the defensive lineman is quick, fast in the ground, and he gets closes the gap tremendously between him and the offensive lineman, right at the snap of the ball, there's no delay, um, things of that nature, you know he can probably beat that guy. He can get in. If he, the defensive lineman, if he can close the gap, he gets an advantage. The offensive lineman, if he can get that step back, his feet aren't too wide, he's got good balance, and he keeps that separation, 
he's got a better chance of winning that thing. So that first step is huge. And then after that first step, you're looking a lot at, at where those hands are being placed. If the offensive lineman's hands are close together, he's got good extension, good separation, and keep that defensive lineman away from him. I mean, he's got a good chance to keep making steps and keeping that separation. If that defensive lineman can close that separation, get his hands on the lineman, on the offensive line where he can move him and control the situation, he's got a good chance of winning that. And for us, a lot of it, it ends there. Okay. Um, some of the kids, you'll see a lot of those one-on-ones. You know, you've, eva- you've evaluated the first step and all of this. The offensive lineman clearly won it, but the defensive lineman still gets to the, the bag or the barrel or whatever that's the simulated quarterback. Man. Okay, good job, kid. Let's see what he does. Did he continue to push hard and fast through all of that? Got to the barrel, sprinted all the way back to his spot. Okay, he's a hardworking kid. He's tremendous. Now, granted, it took him four and a half seconds to get to the barrel. The offensive line probably beat him. Yeah. Four and a half seconds for the quarterback hadn't got the ball out. If That's he all Mahomes, they in trouble to start with. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You know, if if he's if he's a second and a half and he's knocking that barrel down, then he's probably done some really good things there. So you just have to evaluate that. Now, what you in the opposite situation is what you're looking for. If that kid, you know, three and a half seconds out, he, the offensive lineman's got separation and he just kind of gives it up and gets pushed around or pancaked and the offensive lineman's laying on top of it, then you're going to start kind of questioning, you know, has that kid got the work ethic to continue to fight just in case the quarterback is holding the ball that long? Yeah. So the evaluation kind of goes that way with those guys. Um so you're looking for a lot of the initial stuff, and then you're looking for a kind of effort. Absolutely. After that, after that point. Now, I mean, when it when it comes to full pads and things like that, things can change in a split second. You know, you could have a great first step, and that offensive lineman could have a an amazing upper body strength that just, even though he's pre, you've closed that separation, he can latch on and extend it out and, and take that set and take the separation back. I mean, there's things like that, but you're not going to see a lot of that in the in the one-on-ones without pads and things of that nature. And then here in the last year, of course, well, they didn't have camps then, but they got to a because of COVID. But they got to a point at one time where a lot of folks they had to have pads in between them, more of the safety issue things and stuff like that. And it's really hard to evaluate the continuance of a lot of that stuff with those pads too. I hear you. Do um, you ever see, like, for example, you're mentioning the offensive line, <clears throat> and I know I've seen videos where the offensive lineman is celebrating because he's thrown the guy. Yeah. Great. You look where he threw the guy, well, you just killed your quarterback and his ACL's done and you have no team. So does it, does it as a coach, when you see especially offensive-defensive line drills because they are so focused, do you ever – is it ever something the coaches, the, the, the P5, the head coaches or the positional coaches who are working with you looking at, like, this guy thought he won that set. He's celebrating, pimp-walking, acting like he's the shit. And oh, yeah. that coach is sitting over here like, son, no, you don't You don't need to do that. Is that, is oh, that is- You just got 10 yards and you killed your quarterback. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, it's just like we said with the, with the defensive lineman, you know, is he did all that and he got slapped around for four and a half seconds, then the offensive lineman's kind of like, all right, I've whipped him enough. He spins back, runs off, and blasts the barrel. 
Now he thinks he's awesome. Well, five seconds ago, you would have been awesome. <laughs> but four and a half seconds to get there didn't do you much good. Oh, that yeah. offense line in the first step. He lost his He lost the separation. He took bad steps. His feet were real wide. The only choice he had was to grab hold and, you know, sumo him to the ground. Yeah. Okay. Well, more than likely, <laughs> if hold, hold. they're going to see it because he's going to get to a side with both hands out. Yeah. He thinks, okay, he never got to the quarterback. I took him out. Or he comes down hard inside, and he the, the defensive lineman is laid out so far that he just slams him down. Uh, he slammed him right through the quarterback's knees. You know, he thinks he's done something, but the coach is going, well, if you'd have taken your step and if you'd have put your hand placement right and done all that to start with, he'd have never beat you there anyway. But it, it's all on – It's all. And sometimes that'll show you how the kid is is unfortunately it'll show you how the kid is coached if they think that's doing what they need to be doing. Yeah. And, and I mean it's it's definitely an evaluation tool. If you think you're winning a rep doing that, then yeah, yeah. The, the the coaching definitely ain't there. Or at yeah. least you're not you're not absorbing it. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm guessing that goes into things. All right, so let's jump off y'all's bread and butter. We talked about it for about ten minutes. And let's move on to the next one. Now, offensive defensive line is easy. You've got someone directly in front of you, things to look for. Oh, yeah. The next one we talked about was running back and linebackers. Robbie, when, when, when these coaches are looking at running backs, what are they specifically looking for in camps? Because, again, like you've mentioned already, they're not in pads, they're not in helmets, they can't do everything. But what specifically are they looking for for running backs? Well, um, one thing you'll see a lot in camps, and we, we kind of touched at it earlier, is when they go in, they're going to separate them by position. And you're going to go off with your um, offensive line group. You're going to go off with your defensive line group. You're going to go off with your running back groups, your linebacker groups. Each player, when they come into this thing, more than likely is going to have a position that they're working. Um, most of these guys that they come in – and they're going to work two positions. It's going to be it's going to be notified early that they're working two positions. Okay. And a lot of times, a lot of times the two positions are going to be on the same side of the ball. So you may have one kid that that's working linebacker and strong safety. Very gotcha. seldom do you see a kid that's going to come in to a camp and work linebacker and running back, or something okay. of that. Um, you may you may catch a linebacker that is going to do some stuff at a camp as a long snapper or a special teams guy, something like that. But you're not – it's hard to go in and do the drills on both sides like that. Okay. Um, you may get a kid that does linebacker and strong safety because at his high school he may be, you know, that weak side linebacker that's well, actually playing a strong safety position. Gotcha. It, it's, it's, it's kind of weird in those situations. But they split them up like that. And you're going to do drills and things specific to that position. So you're going to see in those drills by position what those kids do, what those athletes do in run situations or read situations, all of those type things. When you get to these one-on-ones, 95% of the time, it's a passing situation. So that makes when when you when you start talking about running backs and linebackers, that makes things a lot different 
in the evaluation process simply because, well, as a running back, you're going to have play action, and then sometimes you're going to have free release type routes. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you're in that one-on-one situation, you're still going to see some play action to routes, or you still see some free release routes, things like that. But you're not going to see that running back in a one-on-one situation step up in the in the play action and then block chip the the rushing edge. Yeah. You know, you're not yeah. going to see that in one-on-ones. You're going to okay. see him fake that and then run his choice route over the middle against a linebacker. You're going to see him run the free release bubble or swing out of the backfield or the 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 wheel route which is whew, wheel route. I have nightmares about wheel routes. I love wheel routes. I do too as you know. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to call an offense and send the guy out there, I do. But, you know, there's only so many times you can you can tell a linebacker. Only so many times you can tell him in a day to watch the wheel route before maybe he might watch it. <laughs> I'm going to get asked before the game. My head coach is going to ask me as a defensive coordinator, hey, we're going to cover the wheel route tonight? Probably not. <laughs> we're we going to let one get by at least. Oh, yeah. Uh, we just have to hope that the running back does not catch very well. There we go. Uh, but unfortunately, most of the time, if running back doesn't catch very well, where is he probably going to be? Linebacker. <laughs> um, Again, I get I get sidetracked. Um, right. You still getting good information, man. That's all that matters. The the one on ones with running backs and linebackers are going to be pass situations. So, me being a defensive coordinator for the last several years, um, I hated the parts of some of those one on ones because my linebackers are going to they know right off the bat I'm in a one on one situation and a pass situation. So. I have to make sure that they're still taking their pro- what I call foot fire, still taking proper steps where they're initially reading. Yeah. Okay. okay. And that part is going to be evaluated. You're going to see coaches looking at that, and they're, they they want to know does that is that kid going to be reading on the play, even if he knows it's third and seventeen, and the scouting report says they throw ninety seven percent of the time on third and anything seven plus. He's going to pass. You still better be foot fire and ready to read because they might run a draw for 18 yards on third. You better better be ready for that hokey quarterback power on third 17. So, I mean, you've got to be ready for it because, yes, it's 97% of the time, but there's 3% of the time that they're not. In those one-on-ones, you're going to get, especially younger kids, they're not making that foot fire step. They're not making that read step. They immediately eyes go to the running back. They're running downhill towards the running back, which they juke in a heartbeat. And it's bad news. Yeah. But that's where that evaluation comes in. You know, with that running back going out, you're looking for you're looking for his route. Is he is he going too deep in the bubble? Um, is he running too flat? Is he gaining ground before he's supposed to? When he's running his choice route or things of that nature, is the running back going in and forcing the linebacker to make a decision of which way to go so he can break his choice route to create separation. The same thing with the linebacker. Is he closing ground too early and and taking the field advantage away from himself? Mm-hmm. Leaves leverage. Yeah. 
yeah. keep watching the running back and not paying attention to anything else. Because a lot of times, uh, um, as we know football, you know, the quarterback might be reading that linebacker. If he puts his eyes directly on the running back, takes off down in there, and he's he's got a bead on that running back and not making his reads and keys, that inside receiver might be coming in and setting up where he left. You, you know, you may be getting a slant or a or a um, shoot. I can't even think of the name of it right now. Too late at night. I'm I'm lost. Um, <laughs> working on my on my master's for my special education degree, and it's got my mind blown right now. I'm losing words. <laughs> um, they're running they're running hooks or comebacks and things, and they're setting down where the linebacker left. Yep. It, it shows that they're not making their reads, you know, because he's taken off out there to the back because it's the only thing in that drill that's moving. Yeah, but you have to show that you're still making your your angle, your forty five degree angle, or whatever you're covering your zone, if that's what the coverage is, or, or you're playing your man to where it is. Or so, like like a dig if you're trying to find the the wide receiver tries to find the soft spot there. Absolutely. So you're saying a big piece when doing, especially on running back linebacker drills, especially for the linebacker, is is having the mentality of, I don't give a damn, you know it's a running play. Everything you normally do, because the guy looking at you over there, that's what he wants to see. If you're doing all this stuff, he starts saying, okay, this kid's got a head on his shoulders. This kid's listening. This kid's understanding how to be coached by his high school coach. To say, okay, I've got to do my read. I've got to step. Do I step into the gap? Do I step out? And then do I go to the? Where do I go? Now, from the running back side, you, you, you've mentioned routes. Obviously, they're looking at hands. But I'm assuming, as much as leverage it is for the linebacker, it's the running back when they get that ball one on one, understanding the leverage against the linebacker. Right? Absolutely. Like again, I'm assuming it's more heady things. You're sitting here with it. All right, there's no one blocking out there. You're going to run that way. I'm sure there are times where you probably sit there and say, well, of course, there's no one blocking out there. You've got an angle on them. You're going to get 15 yards. Yeah. That's not going to happen every time. No. Because you've got a shitty wide receiver who don't know how to block, and the quarterback's coming in. You can't go that way every time. decided it would be easier if he didn't block. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah, I just I just whipped a decent linebacker because I created good separation and I can angle away from him. Yep. But there's Cam Chancellor standing back there at safety that says you're not getting any further than this. <laughs> I mean, that's a big, yeah, that's a big difference. He's going to lower the boom, and the Legion ain't going to be there to help you. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty simple. But I mean, you you is that running back? They're looking at you know, yes, he charged that backer. And he he pressed a certain way and got a release, so he got the linebacker to play his his outside half. He turned to the inside over the middle of the field, catches the ball. How is he? You know what is he doing? Where is he catching the ball? Is he catching it with his hands? Is he catching it, you know, underneath into his chest? Is he protecting the ball? Things of that nature. How he's tucking the ball away? Is he turning upfield and going? Is he making an angle? You know, different things like that. They're looking for to to figure out, you know. And the thing is, like sometimes they'll tell they'll tell you beforehand, okay, you've got a single high safety over the top that you know if you turn straight up in the middle of the field, he's going to be in your mouth. He's yeah. going to knock you out. So you better take the angle towards the side where the corner got cleared mm-hmm. or something of that nature. 
just like the thing, you know, they're one-on-ones, but did we ever, you know, they looked at that linebacker. Did we ever tell you it was man coverage? No. <laughs> so you, you went off blazing to the running back. You know, yeah, you had him covered, but the the hook in the middle caught the ball. They caught the seam over the top because you didn't talk to your zone. We wanted you to play the zone and come down to it. Well, I thought it was man to man. Well, you should be you should be finding out what the play is beforehand. And, and coaches will do things like that to get that evaluation. Because a lot of times you'll get, were you playing man to man? Yes, sir, I was. Did we tell you it was man? No. What should you have done? I should have dropped into my zone, kept my eyes on the running back, and looked for the inside receiver coming into my zone. Okay, they just did a self-evaluation right there. The kid knows what to do, but thinking that it was one-on-one, he did what he had to. And now, all of a sudden, I've got the evaluation of what he's going to do in one-on-one situation and what he's going to do on the other one. So, I mean, they're giving the coaches the information there, and the coach starts to see their process of how they're thinking. And it really goes a long way into evaluating those things. The same thing with the running back. I mean, he's coming out and, you know, well, did the, did we tell you that that guy, that y'all were going to be one-on-one? That he didn't he didn't come down at you, then what should you have done? You should have turned it into a wheel and went on upfield. Or you should have stopped at a certain spot and waited for the screen to come back in. Or, you know, however they suggest that you run that particular route. Yeah. So, or I mean, like a swing, like knowing where the blocks are in the alley. Absolutely. So, so I mean, a lot of that goes on, and, and they can just ask a simple question, and, and it gives them a lot of it. So, again, a lot of the stuff for especially running backs linebackers because you don't have – there's a lot more going on than just you got to go beat that guy. Like yeah, on yeah. line. It's more of they get to see the processing. They get to see the mental aptitude of these kids where, you know, can you catch the ball? Great. Did you catch it? Did you tuck it right? And then did you know where to go appropriately? When what, what play we called, what play we called on defense for you to see? Yep. Now, what, what's, what's, what's next, Brian? All right, up next, we're going to do a uh, little, little wide receiver and DB. Let's have a little fun with this one. The, the wide receivers and DBs are – I got a question. I got a question. Yeah, man. Is this the biggest shit talking groups of all of them? <laughs> yes, without a doubt. <laughs> just need a confirmation. Yeah, not even close. Yes. Now look, I mean, I, and I, if if some of my guys that I've coached over the years listen to see this thing, which I hope they do, I hope y'all get ten thousand views on this thing. <laughs> um, I don't know that I'm going. I don't know that you having me as a guest here is going to draw quite the numbers that Daryl Tapp did. <laughs> but um, you never know. It's all love. I'm not that cool. I have <laughs> obviously that I've. Um, fooled enough to think they know that I know what I'm talking about. Uh, Daryl Tapp does know what he's talking about, so y'all did get there. Uh, but your wide receivers and your DBs, nine times out of ten, are going to be the yeah. They're going to talk to trash now. That that's where it's going to be. If you want to go to a camp and you want to see the the talking back and forth and the competition and then somebody backing it up and somebody getting say punk down and things like that. Go to the wide receiver DB competitions and just watch it because it, it is what it is. And but along with that, you're going to go in there and you're going to, in some cases, you're going to see a lot more of the mental aspects to the things 
in those one-on-ones at that wide receiver and DBs if you catch the right wide receivers and DBs. All right. So you want to start with the wide out or you want to start with the DBs? I'm going to start with the wide outs. Okay, okay. A lot, a lot of your chess game is going to happen there, because what they're going to see is they're going to they're going to start seeing that you know what each other do in different situations, how each other play, and they're going to try to to take advantage of certain things that each of them do and things of that nature. Now, wide receiver, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to walk out there right, as as us coaches is evaluating these wide receivers. We're looking probably for three things. All right. Okay. We're probably looking at their initial footwork. Okay. At the snap of the ball, of their feet staying in place and dancing and doing all this unnecessary movement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've we've seen them. We've seen yep. receivers at different levels. They they run ten yards. They never left the line. <laughs> okay. Um. Then after that is their release. And then their route. Okay. So that footwork. Now, I'm not saying you can't take a step or two to, to get them to do, because that's that could be part of your release. You yeah. You've got initial step wide to the, to the boundary, initial step wide to the field to get that DB to try to turn his shoulders right then. Yeah. Um, but that release, if it's a man coverage, is you trying to, to, to get him to overextend and punch early so you can get his hands down and get the advantage over it. Um, if, if they're playing softer or if they're playing zone, so that you what you're doing with the release is you're pressing a certain area. You may be pressing his outside shoulder to get him to flip his hips towards the sideline, and then you can cut underneath him to make him go all the way around. Get what I'm saying? Yep. Okay, you may press his inside shoulder to get him to open inside, and then you cut behind him and streak up the sideline vertically. You know, all of those are the releases and things like that. So you're looking immediate, and those wide receivers are going to look at those DVs and go, he really likes to flip his hips quick because he knows I'm oh, – excuse me. Bless you. We can, we can take that in post-production. Because he knows <laughs> – that's awesome. Because he knows that you know he I'm he knows I'm faster than him vertically, so he's gonna flip quick, things of that nature. Yeah. So those bit those are big things in those releases and stuff like that. And then the next thing that you want to look at with that with our receiver is their route. You know, if that if he's supposed to be if he, he's get off coverage and he's supposed to be running a slant, is he running up, sticking his foot in the ground and taking the slant right now from? five yards to six and a half yards? Or is he kind of rounding it off at five and making it to about eight? Is he really running a post instead of a slant? Mm-hmm. It's all about the depth of, of things because if you're running against a, a typical a typical one high safety look, you know, and we want you to run a slant because we ran the bubble with the back behind you, the linebacker is dropping 45 from four and a half or five yards to about seven or eight. Okay. If you run that slant from five to six and a half, you're going to stay underneath that linebacker, which gives you an advantage. If you run it too far high, that linebacker can cut you off. Yep. Okay. 
Well, regardless of the linebacker, if you cut that thing and you get to that six and a half and then you build to the seven, you're above the middle linebacker by about two yards and still under the safety. If you cheated it too much and you got to that eight, eight and a half yards, you may be running into that free safety that's not dropping so hard because the routes are short. So it's, it's all about how they're running that route and where that spacing comes in. Because, I mean, a matter of three or four inches can can mean you catching the ball or the defender catching the ball. Yep. So so those those routes have to be crisp and things things like that. Um, Robbie, let me ask you this: uh, Do you do you care so much with the wide receiver when you're evaluating them, the catch itself? I do not. Um, well, now, I don't. I don't get a lot of chance to evaluate receivers in a lot of these camps. Um, but I, I don't take a lot on that simply because nine times out of 10, these kids are at camp and they're, you know, this kid is from Rose high school and the next kid is from, you know, Cape fear high school. And the next kid is from Havelock high school. And the quarterback is from, you know, uh, Meadowbrook in Richmond. Yeah. Well, he's never played with these three kids. He does, The timing's different. This quarterback may be left-handed compared to all three of those receivers. Quarterbacks are right-handed. Different spin, that, yeah. That kid can go out and get 10 passes thrown to him, and he catch two out of the 10, and I could still evaluate him as an exceptional receiver because I've seen on tape that this kid catches 85% of the balls thrown to him. But a different quarterback's gonna make a different, you know, different altogether in his evaluation just because the ball may be thrown different. Now, granted, they're gonna have to get used to a different quarterback sooner or later. Yeah. But there's gonna be a lot of reps to get through that. Yeah. Yeah. And he may take ten reps at this camp as a receiver and may see five different quarterbacks. So the fact that that the reception or the ball's being caught or things like that. And that thing is not the biggest part of my evaluation by any means. My evaluation looking at his footwork, his hands. Now, when he does catch it, what does he do with the ball? Is he running down the field like primetime Deion Sanders with it out in his hand like this and high-stepping? Or has he got it tucked away to make sure that the safety is not going to knock it out of his hands or it's not going to get stripped out, you know, like uh, my man for the Buffalo Bills years ago by uh, – what's his name in the Super Bowl? Leon Lett run on Leon that. Lett, yeah. Leon Lett run on the sideline. He come down and took it out of his hand. Yeah. I mean, is he putting the ball away? Is he doing what he's supposed to with it? Is he giving yeah. a good burst effort afterwards when he catches it? Yes, you can evaluate those things. But, I mean, if he doesn't catch a ball, I'm not killing him on that. The hell, the ball might have been six feet over his head because that quarterback used to throw into six, four wide receivers. And this kid isn't six, four like we told him he was. He's only six, one. <laughs> that part of the evaluation is not huge to me, um, which it, I'm sure when we get to to the next part of this thing where we talk about the quarterbacks, I'll I'll have a little more to say about that as well. But um, the uh, well, let's go to second half, and obviously, you know, so y'all know if you're wondering where this man's credentials are. Robbie Coach Cornell Powell, who was down at Clemson. So b- before we jump to DBs, I want to ask one question. You take Cornell to his first camp like this. What was his 
first thought because Cornell again got highly rated, goes to Clemson, wins a national title, gets drafted, essentially to the best offense in the NFL, where he's probably going <laughs> to do exceptionally well with the Chiefs. But what was his what was his mentality going in there the first time compared to when you guys were going to those junior days when he was on everybody's radar? Um, Cornell just look. I, I love the kid to death, and and well, but, clearly you do. You're at a draft party. Yeah, <laughs> had, had this. He had this aura about himself. And it was it was well deserved because he was nine times out of ten when he stepped on the field, it didn't matter who else was on the field, he was the best athlete out there. Plain and simple. And Cornell probably a little different than you know, it's hard to compare him to Contavious because Contavious was a defensive lineman and things like that. But when it comes to the situation and the camps and the things of that nature. It was a much different story with Cornell than it was Contavious. We got Contavious in there. We started getting him to camps, and it was kind of reintroducing him. Yeah, we're we're just finally finding out about it. Okay, when we got Cornell to those camps between his his sophomore and junior year, so the junior camps where he was really being recruited, everybody knew who he was. Oh, the reason they knew who he was is because he was showing up, showing out, and showing off every game that they came and watched Contavious. <laughs> so they knew who Cornell Powell was then. Gotcha. I mean, that that kind of helped boost some things. Cornell, I, I, if I remember correctly, Cornell got his very first offer from Ole Miss um, on the night of the third round. So the day after Thanksgiving, the okay. third round playoff game, against our biggest rival, D.H. Conley, in 2013. Well, the week before that, we had played at Cape Fear. And Cornell, there was a, the defensive coordinator for LSU was there. Was that Chavis? Chavis, yeah. Chavis? Oh, shit. And then um, the defensive line coach which was um, Lane Kiffin's younger brother for Ole Miss. Both of them were watching Contavious. And, I mean, of course, Contavious was a senior. Yeah. He made his commitment. He was, I mean, he was very much being recruited. And Cornell goes out the first game, scores three touchdowns. He's by far the player of the game. The – it was not Kate Fear. It was I can't was remember. It, was it Red Fox player? Was it Troy? Uh, what's his name? Team? The 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 I can't tell you this. It was the team that we played had two future um, college All Americans on the team. They had a kid named Gilliard that played center for three years for the University of Georgia. He was a defensive lineman for them. And then um, what was the other kid's name? He, he's an outside linebacker now for the Titans, and he played um, at Boston College. Anyway, both of those guys are on the team. Um, we, we played them, and, you know, we were an 11 seed in the playoffs. 
They were number three. Does Pine Forest sound it? Pine Forest. That's, That's exactly Harold Landry. <laughs> yep, Harold Landry. That's it. Harold Landry and Gilliard. Gilliard played defensive line before. He was a monster. We told our offense. We told our offensive coordinator from the start, "You ain't running nothing inside until late in the third quarter." It <laughs> was a trap to a gap, and that cat ate like Pac-Man. <laughs> and uh, I told, I, I told, I told our head coach at the time, I was like, "Look, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to put the ball in the air." I was like, "We're gonna get, we're gonna get the third down. We're gonna have to throw it to Cornell. He'll score on the third play of the game, but." You know, we got to put the ball in the air. We got to make these kids run side to side. Third play of the game, Cornell scores a 47-yard touchdown because I knew what was about to happen. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, they're, there, they're there watching Contavious. <clears throat> Cornell, in his mind, he's always been the best player on the field at all times. So when that offense goes out there, he's got to take over. Not only does he know he's the best player on the field, in his mind, that they've got two or three DBs that are fairly highly recruited. And he says, if I go out and I show what I can do against these guys to these coaches sitting here, that it's it's going to put me on the map. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go to camps, they're going to know who I am beforehand. Yep. And that's what he did. He went out there and did it. Well, at the end of the game, you know, of course, Pine Forest coach comes across and tells us, you know, y'all ain't got but one um, – Y'all ain't got but one All-American on that team, and that's number three. That's the wide receiver because your defensive end didn't do nothing against us. Well, they ran 64 plays, and 57 of them were opposite of Contavious. <laughs> I wouldn't run in his ass either. Little did, they know, little did they know that the kid at defensive end on the other side, outside of Cornell Powell, was probably the best football player that I've ever coached. He went to Campbell University, played fullback, and then defensive end. So, I mean, it, the, but we know about Contagious Street and Cornell Powell. But Christian Pleasant it was one of the best football players I ever coached, but he was undersized. Yeah. And that goes to the camp thing with the size and things of that nature. He was absolutely incredible. And he shut the game down and, and made it look that way. But anyway, the very – we're in that game – and, and Coach Chavis and, and Coach Kiffin are standing there, and they told Cornell, you know, that, that's an amazing game. You know, we're gonna we're gonna take your information down. We'll be watching you, things of that nature. Because Cornell at this point is just a tenth grader; he's just a sophomore. Said, you know, would you know, make sure you get in touch with us. You know, we'll get you to camp. We'll get you talking to our position coaches, things like that. Well, Cornell, being the kid he is. Especially at that point, he goes, you think that was something? He goes, come to the game next week. He goes, you thought those three were impressive. I'm going to score five next week. <laughs> God, I mean, that's just Cornell Powell. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Kiffin said, all right, bet. He goes, you score five next week, I will get you that offer. Let's just say after that next game, that next week, <laughs> um, Coach Kiffin was on the phone at that time with Hugh Freeze going, Freeze. hey, we we got to get this kid an offer. He just he scored eight touchdowns in two games because <laughs> he scored them five against Conley, and we won that game and moved on. So, so, so Cornell, because you, you you put a bar out there, he's gonna jump over it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, but Cornell 
having Kentavious, having someone that highly rated, they show up, he shows out. He's not coming out of nowhere. He's going exactly. into the camp and he's going up in the camp camp as the stud. He's the guy who knows who he is when he walks in the door. Yep. All right. So, so, so let me ask this because obviously you saw him walk into camps. What are DBs having to do? Cornell walks into a camp. He's the fifth rated receiver in the country. He's got offers from 30 institutions. What do you do? DBs are doing one of two things. What's that? If there's DBs are, are, are highly rated, they're getting in. They're getting in line. They're going. I want Cornell Powell. I'm going to shut him down. Didn't work very often, but that's their mindset. Okay. The other part of them that look at that line and go, "There's Cornell Powell. He's one, two, three, <laughs> four. He's one, two, three, four, five. Hey man, you want to get in front of me? <laughs> they're trying to get out of that place because they know that they may that they're good DBs, but that cat's going to make everybody look bad. And I yeah. can't afford to look bad at camp. Okay, so I got to get out of that. So you got you got prime time, and you got some people that are thinking a little bit. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Now you're always gonna have that one. You're always gonna have that one DB. I'm the best DB out here. Put me against anybody, and everybody scorches that cat <laughs> because he's he's never right. He, I'm gonna press everybody, and he's slow as you know what, and it just don't work. <laughs> But I mean, right. the DBs, the DBs, what you got to look at is that you've got to see them understand. Okay, if I know I'm going against the prime time man in this camp, am I going to step up there? Now the coach may tell you you're going to press man right here. Okay, if I'm going to press man, what do I have to do to take advantage of this? Is this kid? Is this cat going to beat me physically? right from the play, or see a finesse guy that's going to beat me with his footwork and get vertical, things of that nature, and then burn me with his speed. You're going you're gonna to see those guys start to process that. And it all goes back to the same thing, their hand placement, their 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 footwork, and, and the way they cover routes, the way they close separation when it's created, and things like that. That's what you have to evaluate there. And that's evaluated in different ways, whether it's press man or excuse me, or off-man to, to, to zone-type coverage. I mean, when you when you get into that off-man playing against that receiver, you instantly create separation. So it, it during that play, are you able to close that separation when you see that receiver make that slant? Are you, are you able to close that separation when he makes a double move to the slant you come down and he goes vertical and beats you. Do you have the speed to catch up with it? You know, those types of things. And a lot of that can go into how that DB processes it and how that DB, you know, plays everything particularly. We had a DB a couple of years ago. He's at Randolph Macon now. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to, not trying to promote the game, the greatest rivalry in the South, <laughs> whatever. But I, I'm pretty sure. You know, that happens every year. And I think next year it's going to be at Hampton, Sydney. If anybody wants to go out and check it out, it should be a a game, right? I'll be there. All right. I probably will be too. Uh, and, you know, I'm not above a cheap promotion here, if y'all haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't like to promote many things here. 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, the 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 kid was was undersized, but an exceptional DB. And one thing I always noticed about him when he went to camps was he was going to make sure that he found out who the exceptional receivers were in that particular camp. And he was going to find out what they did best. You know, were, were, they, a thing, were they a, a speed receiver that was getting vertical and beating people there? Were they somebody that took advantage of the separation and, and did well on the, on the slant sort of things like that? And he would play, he would set himself up. If he was given the opportunity, he would set himself up to play them the best that he could possibly play to make himself look the best he could. You know, if he had a receiver that he knew was was going to play vertical and, and run fast and was faster than him, he played softer man. And he knew exactly when to turn. He wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna let the receiver force him. He had in his mind, he had set his game plan that he knew what he was going to do. And he could do that with watching that receiver three plays. He knew what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that just come from his, his preparation. And rarely did he get beat in in any of those situations in camp. He could come up and he knew that receiver was going to, maybe that receiver was faster than him and everything like that, but he knew that the receiver didn't get didn't get a good release off the line. So he'd press it and beat him right there and never have to worry about the speed. Yep. The kid, and that was just what he did. And coaches evaluated that and saw that. And they said, okay, yes, he he is he is five nine and three quarters, but he's got uh, a 68 and a half inch reach. His arms are long and he can tie his shoes standing straight up. His arms are so long. <laughs> I mean, it's he his body length was freakish. Yeah, and he can and diagnose play with anybody because of his his intellect. But his measurables, like his height and thing like that, they'd go, I I don't know. They would question it, but then they'd watch him on the field, and that's where that camp comes in. Well, you can look at these little things of his height and go, yeah, he's not big enough to play this type of football. But then when you watch him play, you go, well, he makes up for it in other ways. Yeah. So that's where those evaluations and things come in because he could close he could close any gap and he could take away the gap from the start if he didn't want you to have one and he he had he had makeup speed to take away the vertical if he got beat I mean he was just he was just that type of player and I mean it, it's showing now he started he started um, six of the seven games in making this year as a true freshman oh wow the DB. So, Let me um, ask you this, Robbie. Um, you know, we, we've, we've been going through DB here. It looks like DB, from an evaluation standpoint, it seems to be like you could kind of get the most evaluation out of that position at these types of camps. Would that be true? I think you can get the most evaluation at these camps from, from in the wide receiver and defensive back kind of groups. Okay. I really do. Um, because you, you get to see that competition more and – I mean, let's face it, most of them, they don't like to be hit, touched, pushed around and stuff to start with. So not having pads on really doesn't affect them that much. Yeah. It really doesn't. I mean, wide receiver or DB. It's, it's a mess game. Um, it, it gets physical with them when they get to the middle and have to deal with that, that strong safety or the free safety or the linebackers and things like that. 
But in the one-on-ones, that stuff's not there. So, I mean, you really get to evaluate how they position themselves, how they do their footwork, how they do the things that they do. And it's that's probably the best time to do it in, in those situations. Now, once again, when it comes to the ball coming in, like we talk about the, the running backs and the receivers, I, d- I don't put a lot of focus on the catch every time simply because it may be coming from a different quarterback that they're not used to. It may not be the placement they're not used to. And that takes time to build. Gotcha. I mean, that's just, yeah, I would definitely say that that's one of the best places to see those. Let's move on to the franchise player, the quarterback. How how are quarterbacks evaluated these camps? Now, I'm going to tell you what, as I told you, my, with my coaching experience and all those things. Now I, I did work with quarterbacks at um, two camps, I think simply because of the fact that we took multiple coaches. um, We had multiple coaches at at different positions, and I would volunteer to go somewhere else. I'm the kind of coach, in my mind, I don't have to stay in one place to learn something. I can go learn something in any position that I can take back, whether I coach them or not. I can give it to our coach on our staff, something I may have learned from there. I'll go to any place there if it's going to help. I worked with quarterbacks a couple times. When you go to these one-on-ones and the things like that, in my opinion, and from what I saw at those camps, there's very little evaluation going with the quarterbacks in those one-on-ones when they're throwing to the running backs and the receivers. Simply because, again, the timing's different. The receivers are different. They may be running routes that that quarterback is not used to, you know, to throw in things of that nature. Now, you can see a quarterback make amazing throws and, and good back shoulder throws, uh, perfectly placed deep balls in some of those situations. You can see some good things. But I don't see where they evaluate and hold it against a lot of them in gotcha. those because of those things. You can tell the exceptional plays, but you can't really tell how how bad a bad play is. Absolutely. So, so what's the way to go then? What's the way? So the, what's the way the quarterbacks besides tape? What the quarterbacks, what they're looking at is when they they catch that snap or they take that ball and they take their three steps before they throw it. What they're evaluating is their footwork, their ball placement, whether both hands are on the ball, the ball's high, secure, things of that nature. But they get a lot of that in those individual drills too. Okay, yeah. the drills before they get to the one on ones. Um, I, the only thing they they can really see, in my opinion, in the one on ones, is the is that you know ball placement and their mechanics of everything, and okay. you can evaluate a little bit there. But I mean, you're not going to see time, and you're not going to see them reading a lot, especially with one on ones. Now, in the seven on seven things okay. that you may see at some of the seven on seven camps, you can start to see them read, pull the safety off things of that nature. But what you're going to see in those individual drills with the quarterbacks is when they take that three-step drop, are their feet too wide to be able to throw with any power? Are their feet too close together to be able to get power onto the ball? Mm-hmm. When they sprint out or roll out, are they squaring their shoulders to the line of scrimmage to throw it? Um, back when I was playing ball and, and when I first started coaching – are they sprinting out and throwing it back across field? God help them. They shouldn't be doing that. 
quarterbacks now, it's like that's what they want them to do. Patrick Mahomes and, and doggone uh, Russell Wilson will run to the other doggone set of numbers. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, that's a style of play that's coming now. Oh, yeah. You, you can, you can t- it used to be like breaking every rule if a quarterback turned yeah. their back to the rush. Yes. And now, I mean, Russell Wilson does it five, six times a game. If you roll out and you pass the hash, you better not be throwing past the other hash. <laughs> that's just forbidden. And now we'll roll to the numbers and throw to the other sideline. It'll be all right. But they've got quarterbacks that have that strength now. Yes, they do. I mean, so more elusive, and they got bigger arms. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Quarterbacks are going to be evaluated more, in my mind, on that in those individual drills and little bitty mechanic things during the one on ones, and not about their completion percentage and 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 things of that nature, because. I mean, they're just not used to the timing and the things of those receivers. It's just it's hard to do. I mean, it's yeah. really hard to do. So, I'm so you, if you get a you get a mechanic issue where that that uh, throwing motion is way too slow or way too long, you might oh, see something you like gonna that. know it then. Yeah, because that's when that's when that slant turns into the post because <laughs> you got to wait from here and drop all the way down and come over the top rather than here back and throw. I mean, it, it makes a world of difference in the timing and things of that nature. Yep. Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to guess on this, and then we'll move on. But I'm guessing with the quarterbacks, it's going to be the actual film where they're playing week to week. And is what I see in camp here, he has good footwork, good placement, good arm motion. Is he doing that when there's six guys in front of him about to kill him? Absolutely. And, and if he's taking it here to here, then it's like we, now we cook him. Yeah, what it comes down to is it's a camp. You yeah. have to be able to take what you can get from the camp out of it. And you can't expect to come into a camp when nobody ever heard your name and walk out of there being the number one prospect on their list because they're not going to see everything in a camp. It's going to be a combination of how you perform at that camp, the things that you show, the film that you put out, the consistent numbers and statistics you put up. It's a combination of all those things. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, the camp is, is an opportunity for you to show off the things that you know you can do well right then and there. But you have to understand that some of the things they're not going to see at those camps, just like we have to understand as coaches, that there's just some things we aren't going to see at that camp. Okay. There's just some things that they're not going to learn at it too. All right. So, so let me ask this, Robbie. You 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 you've been an evaluator there. When are they asking you and talking to you about what you're seeing on these individual drills or one on ones? Is it something that the camp's over and everybody's getting together? You're taking your notes, or is it, you know, when is it? Um, a lot of like we said before, when they come in, you know, there's a lot of that registration time period at the beginning. Yeah. All right. You're as they're coming in. And they're getting stretched. They're getting warmed up. They're doing all this. They're they're working with the strength and conditioning staff, things like that, to get warm. And and we want them sweating. We want them warm, broken, sweating, loose, ready to do everything is when they get your best performance. Okay. So they've got that staff. They're going to do dynamic stretching and um, mobility and all that stuff before they ever do that testing. They're going to run – you know, a half mile before they ever get that testing started. So they're going to be nice and warm and ready to go. Well, as they're coming in, 
you know, in, in the cases that I remember of working with them, the kids are coming in and I'm standing there talking to the position coach. Okay. I was say I was at one of the camps at NC state. I'm standing there with the position coach. And as the kids are coming in, he he'll tell me, Oh, that's, you know, so-and-so, you know, we're, we're recruiting him. He's, you know, he's a, a three-star defensive end from such and such high school. Um, we think he's about six three, you know, two hundred and forty-five pounds, whatever. We we really want to make sure we take a look at him. And then you see him as he checks in; he gets his jersey or his his compression shirt or whatever. It's got a number on it, or the banner he's got has got a number on it, or it's got a number written on his arm, whatever. So you start to look at that number, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's highlighted on the on the sheet that you may have or whatnot. And you know uh, the guy that they're looking at. Well, they come in, they do all their testing, they do all that stuff, and um, you know we're we're talking about that. So then, after they do all their testing, they do all that, they get broken into their specific position drills. Okay, now I, one of the last camps I worked there, that was myself, the position GA. And then two current players. Okay. And what we did was we had, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 defensive linemen at the camp. So what we did was we split them by groups. Okay. So if you're, you know, you're a rising freshman, you go over here with player number one. If you're a rising sophomore, you go here with player number two. If you're a rising, um, junior, you go right here with, you know, Coach Compton. If you're a rising senior, you go right over here with the GA. And, you know, they split them up that way. Some of them split them up different ways. You know, you're a defensive end, you go over here. You're a defense, you're a three technique, you go here. You're a nose, you go here. Um, gotcha. This particular one, um, the, the defensive line coach went through he goes, give me you four guys, you go with that guy. You five guys go with player number two. I want um, so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so with Coach Compton and this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy with the GA. Well, when you really looked at it, they had the the younger kids with the players, and then they had the kids that they were actively recruiting or could be recruiting or things like that with me and the GA. Gotcha. Because the player, you know, while they know the drills, they know the information, they know the things like that, they may not be able to see certain things to evaluate the way that myself or EGA may be able to do. So as we're going through the drills, we're seeing things. Okay, so I'm putting the kids through the drills and I'm seeing their first step. I'm seeing how they're doing this, how they're doing that. And. You know, the defensive line coach is standing right there. Maybe the head coach is there. Maybe the recruiting coordinator has walked over and seen that. But most of those coaches are moving around. At that particular time, the the defensive line coach that I was working with, he was the recruiting coordinator. And he was also the run game coordinator. Mm -hmm. So he was moving around to see linebackers and DBs. and I mean, he's moving around to see things too. So he takes a lot of information from, from us of what we see in the evaluation. 
So we run through, say, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes of drill, and we send the kids to go get water because it's 110 degrees on the turf. Yep. Well, he comes over and talks to us while those kids are running to get water. Okay, what do you, you know, in this drill, what did you see? How did you feel about this? So we'll talk about it a little bit there. Okay. Well, we finish up those individual drills before we get ready to go to one-on-ones. Okay, guys, we finished all of our individual drills. What you're going to do, we're going to break it down. You're going to go down to the left corner of the end zone down there, and that's where we're going to do one-on-ones against the O-line. So they break down, take off. Then it may be me, the GA, the defensive line coach, and the head coach, and they may have questions. Well, how did this kid do in this particular thing? How did they do with this? How was their first step with this? If you took these five guys, where would you rank them one through five? Who would be the top guy down? So we talk about that kind of stuff for our particular position. Yeah. And each position is doing that every time they can get the kids to go and, and you get a free minute to evaluate. I got you. Then you get to the one-on-ones. And, you know, the particular – this particular camp, I was working with defensive line, and my head coach was working with offensive line because that was what his specialty was. So now we're at one-on-ones, and it's my head coach and the offensive line coach and then the defensive line coach and myself. We have a group of one-on-ones, and it may be their seven best offensive linemen and their eight best defensive linemen that we had evaluated anything. Gotcha. And so, you know – may come over there and the defensive line coach may ask me, he goes, okay, who's the, who's the best, who's the highest evaluated one out of what we've seen today. And I'll say, uh, you know, Jersey number 12. And they'll ask the offensive line coach and, and, and my head coach who was the top rated offensive line. Oh, number 172. Okay. Next time around, we want to see number 12 go against 172. So, you know, we can evaluate things that way. Mm-hmm. And when it all comes down to it, okay, after those one-on-ones are done, before they get ready, there's going to be a period where they may go get, you know, um, they're different camps do different things. You know, you may – some of them you can go take pictures. You can go do things like that. You, they may have a snack or something for you. But before you leave, the head coach or whoever is going to speak or their um, – their guest speaker or somebody's going to speak. So while they're doing that, all of the coaches may be meeting to give their evaluation from the one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. He didn't, he didn't do, he didn't do great in individual drill, but when you put him in a competition against somebody, he did awesome. He, rose he, he up. really showed good footwork and did this and did that. He didn't do so well against the sled because the sled didn't move in front of him. But when things are moving in front of him, you really see that raw talent break out. You know things like that, okay. and you get you get kind of evaluate those different ways, and you get to talk. Like, you know, we were talking to different coaches and giving them our ideas, and in that in that situation, you know, they felt comfortable enough taking the information from us that that we you know that we knew what we were doing. But I mean that that just depends on that. Like you said, that relationship you build. I mean, we had five players go play at NC State. They they knew what we based our stuff on and what we were focused on. So, I got you. Yeah, can I so, ask? There? Yeah, go ahead, Curtis. Oh, my bad. Have you ever had a coach? Is there ever been a kid at a camp that stood out so much where you had a head coach or recruiting coordinator say, 
we want to talk to him. There's there's been kids we've seen, you know, like I said, you know, you have this list of all the kids that registered for the team and they're going to, they're going to be given numbers and you're given a list of who these kids are. So you can check because, you know, you have to record their, um, their testing stuff. So it has to be written out and recorded. So you have a list of the kids that are there, their name and what their, their shirt number or whatever it is. Now, don't get it wrong. Some of these kids identify when they come in. You you know, Like I said, he's going to say, hey, this kid right here coming in, he's <laughs> the guy we're looking at. He's the guy we're recruiting. You know, So he's marked on their sheet. Whether we checked it off, it's highlighted. Whether his jersey is, now, is red with black numbers where all the rest of them are red with white numbers or, you know, however they – they do it to make certain individuals stand out. You're going to know who they are. There may be a kid that come in cold off the street, signed up, and he looks good. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the cases with like with Contavious. Was he come in before his junior year, and he's in an area that hadn't been heavily recruiting him because of, he had just moved there. All of a sudden, he sets a he sets a camp on fire. They're like, hey, mark that get him out of that group, bring him over to this group and, and you two evaluate him where he was over there. You know, player a said that he was dominating everything over there and he was amazing that we need to be looking at. So we bring him over to one of those groups to where we can evaluate him. And some of the other coaches get to see him as well. Get to see him against more high high caliber guys that you already know something about. See how he does against them. The coaches may not, some of the coaches may not look so much at the rising ninth graders at the camp because they really, you know, they can talk to them, but they can't actively recruit them into ninth grade, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, you got this kid that's a rising junior. He's in the prime of recruiting. We need to get on board and, and find out where this kid fits. We can pull him in there. We, let's get him with this group. So, yeah, that definitely happens. Um, it, it's not – you know, I wouldn't say it's every camp that you go out and you get a kid that, that blows up and, and appears out of nowhere, but it's definitely possible. And there's so, the ones that come in and be like, this is a kid we're looking at. And by the end of the camp, they're just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Erasing it. So let yeah. me ask this. Is there a kid that coaches don't really know from Adam that's walking in that's going to walk away with a scholarship from these camps? I seriously doubt it. Okay. Nine times out of ten, um, they're walking into the camp. If they leave with a scholarship offer, somebody knew a lot about them before they got there. Gotcha. They're one of the list. They're one of the guys. They're they're, they're, they're on the list when they arrive. If they're if they don't have a scholarship when they're there and they walk away with them. absolutely. Gotcha. Now you can you can you can be one of those borderline kids. Yeah, we know who you are. We you know we we like what you we've seen your film. We know that you can play. We're trying to decide and come out and blow that thing out of the water at a camp and go, hey, yeah, he's worth it. Okay. I mean, that can happen. But somebody that walks in stone cold off the street and just appears, I mean, there, there's no – I haven't seen at a camp a Rudy story where a <laughs> guy just appears out of nowhere, blows it up, and, you know, gets a scholarship and then mows the field afterwards. I, You know, <laughs> I, I haven't seen that. I mean, I guess it's possible, but so you might you might get you might go go to a camp and get on a team's radar, but you're not going to camp, yeah. and all of a sudden you got a scholarship Absolutely. in your hand. 
Gotcha. Yeah, and you can go in there and and open some eyes and say, hey, we might need to start watching this cat. Not impossible, but improbable, probably. Yeah, yeah. not impossible, but improbable. That's a great way to put it, Curtis. There we go, Curtis. A man of words right there. Wordsmith. Exactly. All right, so before we jump off here tonight, um, Robbie, we're going to give the floor to you because for anybody listening out there, whether you are a high school kid, whether you are a parent, me and Brian are parents. So, and obviously we've got a ways to go before any of this stuff takes place, but for maybe some of you guys who have kids getting older, Bobby wanted just to give a little info so you guys kind of know how to go into these things. And, and Robbie, I'm assuming this isn't just for football, but this is for any sport, right? Yeah. I, my biggest thing, and it's like I said earlier, I, I, when it comes to the kids and these coaches and all this stuff, I want to be honest about things because it's, you know, it's my word. It's, it's my um, evaluation of things of these kids and stuff that they're going to take, you know, and we build relationships off of those things. We want if, if I could go in, I'd, I'd give every one of my kids on my team a scholarship because I want them to go to college. I want them to be successful. I want them to be, you know, great citizens and productive citizens everywhere. That's what I want for, for every kid that has ever played for me, for every kid that thought about playing and didn't play. You know, that as an educator, as a teacher, as a coach, that's what I want. I want every kid to have that chance to succeed. They don't allow me to give scholarships. So I have to put my – I have to use the relationships that I build and, and put my stamp on the kids that I know, that I can help. And I tell them with honesty, you know, go to these camps, get the exposure you can get. If you have $250 this year to spend to go to camps, okay, my first piece of advice would be, don't spend all $250 at every ACC and SEC camp or every Big Ten, Big 12 camp, whatever. Don't don't blow every dime you have on Power Five, you know, camps. And the reason I say that is, I mean, statistically, you look at it. There's five conferences. There's 10, 11, 12 teams in the conference. Each team has 85 scholarships. Okay. I, I'm not a math magician, um, but that that chance is slim. Okay. And there's 300. I know in North Carolina, there's like 317 high school football teams total. Yeah. Okay. Each one of those teams have anywhere from 40 to 70, 80 kids on the team. It's 317 in one state that plays football. And that's, you know, 10 conferences, maybe 115, 120 teams in all of Power Five that have 85 kids. So all of you can't go there. As much as you want to go to Alabama, you may not be able to. So think about your education first, okay? The things that you want out of life. Football's not going to last forever. I tell the kids all the time, football's not going to last forever. I've coached for 15 years. 
say an average of 50 kids per year, 15 years. Y'all are the y'all are the numbers, guys. Y'all can figure out that kind of math. I've coached well over 2,000 kids in my 15 years of coaching. Two of them right now are in the NFL. Two. Every all 2,000 of them at one point in their life, their goal was probably to play professional football, play in the NFL. And two of them are there. So you got to find something else to to finish life with. You got to find something to be that that you you're going to go professional, but what's it going to be in? And the likelihood of it being football is not it. Find what you want to do. Okay, find the schools that are best at that. You want to play football? Find the schools that have the football programs that you want to play for. Okay, pick pick one of the big schools. Pick that dream school. If your dream school is Alabama, if your dream school is Virginia Tech, go to the camp. Get that exposure. Go enjoy every bit of it. Then find a, say you're a a Virginia kid, find a JMU. Then find a, you know, a Division II school, a Virginia State. Um, Then find a, a couple of D3 schools, you know, things like that. Make sure you vary where you spend your time at those camps. Like I said, a lot of those camps you go to, you're going to find coaches from other schools there anyway, especially the bigger ones. Mm-hmm. So use those processes and and help yourself. Get your exposure that way. Don't spend every dime you have traveling all over the world, to traveling all over the United States to these big schools that, the, that you have less than 2% chance of going to. That that would be my biggest thing to tell them. And um, again, look around at the talent that's there, and, and see where you fit in. I mean, I had a, I've worked for the last 11, 12 years for a, a phenomenal coach, um, and he played college. He had pro workouts. Okay, he played a Division two college in West Virginia. Okay, his dream was to go to to Penn State. He went to camp at Penn State, and he said, "I knew thirty minutes after registration by looking at the guys that were around me, I was not going to Penn State." <laughs> he said, "I was six four, three hundred pounds, and I was one of the smallest linemen there." He said, "I knew then I wasn't going to Penn State, but I was going to play football." And and that's what he did. He worked his way around, and and you know he he ended up to start with at a at a small school I think in Pennsylvania called Teal College, and then he transferred to to Glenville State. So I mean, and even at Glenville State, he ended up with workout with pro workouts. It didn't work out. He wasn't quite you know he didn't quite measure up in those situations, but that's okay. I mean, he got his education. Yep. He's been coaching and teaching. He's caught. He's coached at the college level, um, taught at the college level. Now he's teaching and coaching at the high school, and he's been very successful. So, and that's what he wanted to do. Outside of football, he still wanted to be involved in it. So that those are the things that I would put out there, and I would tell the kids to to vary those things to make sure you do those. Um, don't limit yourself just to the big schools because it's not going to work out as much. Um, for the parents, 
the biggest thing I would say is, is support the kids. Don't push them towards something that you see for them that they may not see for themselves. I understand, you know, pushing them to get to that, but don't push them to something that you would want to see rather than what's realistic. That that's a good thing. You see a lot of you lot of parents that that push things because it's what they want and it may not be what the kids want. And, and that's the biggest thing. It, it's going to come out to be a lot easier when the kid wants to be there and wants to do it than it is just because they were told to. But that that's the biggest thing in it. I think the camps are great. Um, like you said, possible, but not probable when it comes into walking into one. But um, nine times out of 10, the kids that are going into camp. Now at the end of these camps, that you're gonna you're gonna see some kids that at the end of camp the guest speaker spoken now all of a sudden you're gonna see these coaches start talking to individual kids and then they're I've seen them at the end of those camps like you said after June first that recruiting thing is up and they can start recruiting again I've seen kids come to these camps and at the end of that camp you know they're walking away with the head coach and the recruiting coordinator. And then they reappear with, with a scholarship offer. Mm-hmm. Okay. That wasn't a kid that walked in. I, from my experience, that wasn't a kid that walked to the table at 9 o'clock that morning and paid $85 and <laughs> put on a regular shirt and everything and got in the group just like it was. That was a kid that walked up to that table up there and handed them the, the voucher that they had received and – there's a coach somewhere saying that's so-and-so from, you know, Blacksburg high school. He's a four-star defensive end recruit. He's 6'4", 265 pounds, runs a four six four. They know everything about him already. That's usually the kid that's, that's wandering off and, and sitting in an office somewhere to talk to the head coach a little bit later. That's, that's me at a couple camps when I was uh, going to the, when I was a junior and uh, I was that regular guy. And then Marcus Vick was the guy that was getting pulled to the side and uh, talking to the coaches. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, the possible, not probable. There we go. Once they know who they are when they come to the table, as a probable. Every once in a while, there's a possible. The rest of them, if they're talking to the head coach afterwards, it's probably to take a picture and get an autograph. But there we I go. mean, it's. It's it's just realistic. Like I said, yeah. I'm gonna tell the truth, and that's what the truth is. But I mean, that's that's the big thing about the camps is it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to show what you what you can do, but you know, have realistic expectations when it comes down to it. There we go. Well, Robbie, we, we appreciate you joining us tonight, man. Um, a, it's been way too long. Hey, since we've seen you, thanks to COVID, unfortunately, because normally Robbie would swing by Richmond and we we somehow he'd catch Brian, he'd catch me, we all catch up, go to Hurley's to have some wings. Hopefully, in the next few months, we do this in person. Maybe we get to watch a game yeah. together. I don't know if we want to do that. That might be dangerous. Have some um, wings, watch a little football. Hell yeah. yeah. I, I told you the other day, I was like, it's time to get together. You know, I, I got kids – I've had for years. I've had kids in different places playing ball and things like that. 
I've been running from place to place to watch games and things like that. And uh, I spent a lot of time at, at, at NC State. I spent some time at Clemson. Um, so now I, now I think this year there, there's going to be a lot less traveling. I can I can get back to my roots and watch some more Virginia Tech football. Yes, sir. But like I said, I got another kid that just committed um, to NC State this past weekend. So I can head back to Raleigh and – uh, I know, I know. Some of the Virginia Tech fans don't want to hear it, but um, <laughs> I got, I got some connections in uh, in Raleigh that I can get to games if I need to call Coach Wiles. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again, I have a, a pretty decent relationship there. So um, he's a good dude, and I know he did an amazing job in Blacksburg. And yes, he did. We're glad to have him in Raleigh as well. So. Well, uh, we'll spend some time in Raleigh again. We'll see how everything goes. There we go. We'll, we'll definitely get together and watch a little, watch a little hokey football. Y'all will have to catch me up on how things are going. I've fallen a little behind. Well, <laughs> you, you've been a busy man with all this stuff going on, man. So definitely on that. And uh, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, along with our guest Robbie Compton. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, or your favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, Apple. Brian made sure they are everywhere. If you're looking to join the Hokie Club and help help achieve the Reach for Excellence goal, um, please put visit BoundaryCornerBT.com forward slash giving to get started. As always, we let our buddy, Robbie's former roommate, Jason Long, play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okie. Okay.